0: Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker and joining me as always, Sean Baker, and today's topic is the 1963 film Seven Days in May. So this film, it takes place, Look, because it's based on a novel, it takes place at that time in the... The fictional Late future world of 1970. Yes, at that time the future world. Yes, and there is a president, President Layman, or is it Ly- Lyman? Lyman, and he is going through a crisis because he just the Cold War is still going on, and he signed this treaty where basically each side, both the Americans and the Soviets, agreed to dismantle their nukes and yeah, yes. this is not going over well there is a protest which turns into a riot right outside the gates of the white house his yeah. approval ratings have plummeted to 29% yep. which that is really low if it's at that point it's that's, yeah, uh, that's defcon 5 yeah bad. there's
1: a, only a few presidents have that hit that low point
0: yes and so his
1: and the i guess i should say it's kind of implied in the that that lead up in the description of the treaty, right? That it's a complete, it's a promise of complete destruction of nuclear arsenals, but it's entirely unclear uh, as to how they would... Uh, Possibly be able to verify that the uh, Soviets were actually going to do this.
0: Yeah, they, one guy kind of brings it up at the party, saying that we can check, and if they aren't up to snuff, then the deal's off. But you don't really quite get into the specifics of the treaty, the, yeah. the super nitty gritty of it, yeah. But anyway, so as this is going on, there is a, a opponent of this treaty, General Scott, who was a decorated war hero. And he's leading the opposition, and he has a uh, what, what? What's his role? Jigs? What's it? Jigs is oh like, well. General Scott is assistant along, to General Scott, right? And, yes. and the important thing to keep
1: in mind here is that General Scott, along with four or five other guys on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, are conspiring.
0: Yes, and then yes. Jigs, you know, he hears this thing. He is an old friend that talks about how he's being part of this group called EcomCon, and Jiggs has no idea what that is. Yep. He, somebody reads this coding of General Scott putting a betting pool for the Preakness and trying to get all these other generals to join in. One, yep. one declines. One admiral. One admiral. And he thinks it's, and he kind of laughs about it because, like, oh, they're trying to bet for the Preakness, but one guy gets very offended saying you weren't supposed to read that. And then he does some snooping and he figures out something strange is going on. And basically he realizes that General Scott's leading a coup to overthrow the president of the United States. Yes. And so Jiggs informs the president and the rest of the film basically is Jiggs and the president trying to gather information against Scott to... Force Scott's resignation and stop this before it happens. Right, but they need the thing is they need solid evidence, otherwise, because the president's afraid he'll just look like a raving lunatic if he can't get anything solid. against Yeah, and the
1: important thing here to keep in mind too is the president doesn't want word of this to get out because of the deleterious effects it would have on public uh, uh, trust in the government. So he he could have easily have chosen to go public with this. Said here, you know, my joint chiefs of staff here are attempting a military overthrow, an unconstitutional overthrow of the U.S. government. But he doesn't because he thinks it would have that large an impact on the public trust in the government. So he, he decides, no, I'm going to do this below the media radar and try and find sufficient evidence that I can present to General Scott and say, look, you've got a choice. You can either resign or I will make this public, right? And uh, uh, it's interesting he chooses to do that instead of go public with it. it. You,
0: you see, he tries to be as dignified as yeah. possible because one of the big subplots of the movie is General Scott used to have an affair with this woman played by Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. And she's, she reveals to Jigs that she still keeps letters that he wrote her during their affair, and they're quite supposedly lurid or graphic. Yeah, And Jigs stole them from her to see that it is have that basically be if nothing of all else fails, we can go that way. The scandalous tabloid way to get him out of here. Right. have Nothing else. And they hand them to the president. And as he confronts Scott later in the movie, he's wants to do that because he realizes, you know, there's another, the other outlets they've tried have been called qu- right. one plane has crashed. The, one of the guys they tried to get, to testify against was re-kidnapped by the Comcon group. So he has nothing else. He has this, but he still, even with all that, he still refuses to do it, just feeling it's too low, it's too dirty, it's too sleazy to go that far.
1: He doesn't he doesn't take that route. Yes.
0: And so this is directed by John Frankenheimer. And I believe a year earlier he also directed the Manchurian candidate. And what a double feature because It's not just those two movies, but it, this was the early 60s, so there was a lot of this playing into movies of this paranoia. As yeah. you see, the Dr. Strangelove came out this exact same year, and Failsafe also came out the exact same year, both looking at the yeah. um, same outlook of nuclear annihilation. And you also have Manchurian Canada. There is this fear because this was the time of you know the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, and you also have the Cuban Missile Crisis and around this time, you also had the assassination of JFK. So everything was really just hanging on by a thread as far as the yeah. Cold War and who's going to launch the nukes first.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, what's, and what's very uh, interesting about all of those films um, of that time period is uh, not only the fact that they, they, they do tend to uh, revolve around the threat of nuclear war but they also all in one way or another revolve about, around very interesting questions about the nature of the civil-military uh, 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 connection in the U.S. government and the constitutional order. And I know when I watched this thing, um, it, it really impressed upon me.
0: Had you seen it before?
1: Uh, no. This is okay. the first time I had seen this. And, or I take that back. I saw it a long time ago when I was a kid, so I didn't really remember too much about it. Um, but one of the big impressions it, it, it made on me is it, it is a fantastic argument for the constitutional order and uh, the rule of law, and um, it it makes a strong case that uh, the proper way to deal with policies that you find to be objectionable by whoever happens to be uh, in power in the executive branch it is through the constitutional means. That's the big message of this film. I think Rod Serling and the, the other two writers are trying yeah. to get, get across. Um, and that is something that I think is reflective of the, almost the, I won't say the unique nature of the United States, but uh, one of its most redeeming features. Because, like I said, I was about to say, and then I got sidetracked, the first thing that came to mind for me in watching this political thriller about the U.S. government was how unlike uh, other Countries, other governments of other countries, uh, the train of events ended up being. The first one that came into mind for me was uh, the, the relatively recent overthrow of the Egyptian government by its military. And most people, I think, would... Um, um, Admit that they, the Egyptian military general Al Sisi is the name. He's now the president of Egypt, but uh, he had he had good concerning reasons to do what he did. Um, But it's not unusual in other parts of the world that this happens. Whoever is in uh, control of the government does something that uh, uh, the military thinks is unwise. And they conduct a coup. Going back to JFK, you bring JFK up. Um, uh, Many people criticize him for essentially, if not giving tacit approval, at least standing aside and allowing the South Vietnamese military uh, establishment to conduct a coup and overthrow um, President Diem. Who uh, was a somewhat effective leader, and then that led to several years of coups and counter coups and uh, mm-hmm. uh, ineffective government in in, in 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 South Vietnam, which ultimately was a contributory factor for uh, to, to the uh, uh, victory of the North Vietnamese in that movie. Um, so it's it's striking. That's what really strikes me about this film is it, it, it reflects the strengths of America, and I think it goes far back as as far back as General Washington. Uh, after you know he had been president, after he had presided over the Constitutional Convention and been a successful president and so forth, a lot of people said, "Hey, why don't we just try and uh, make you essentially something like a king?" And you can you can you can rule for life and then appoint your successor. And he said, absolutely no. We went to all the trouble we did to create, uh, uh, write the Constitution, create a system of government with this complex uh, balance of powers and a, a purposefully limited executive. I am not gonna. I'm not going to do that. And uh, he set the stage. He set the stage. For something that has been a pretty darn successful, as it were, social experiment uh, since those days,
0: and you even talk about overthrowing because this—the inspiration for really the novel, which this was based on, was the Bay of Pigs invasion, where we tried to overthrow Castro's government, who at that time just recently overthrew the government in Cuba. Yeah. And the big thing, well, mainly the opponent—they mentioned him briefly in this movie—was General Walker. General Walker, and he also mentions Curtis LeMay. Yeah. And they both feel that JFK's handling of the Bay of Pigs, which was a which was a disaster, because yes. it failed miserably.
1: No air cover.
0: Yeah, and that was the thing. They felt that they <laughs> had no air cover. It was a disaster, and because of this, they had no confidence in the president as a leader. Now, I don't know if they got as far as— Okay, where they were trying to. They blame. were not. They were
1: not going to conduct not considering a coup. To no. Overthrow JFK. No. In fact, in, in fact, LeMay actually ran, you know, for political office uh, right. later. But no, there weren't any serious. Uh,
0: but it, it, go, it goes. Plans. I'm not going to get too into the craziness here, but it goes <laughs> into because JFK was a set. This is '63. This is the year JFK was assassinated, and people to this day feel like there's tons of conspiracies out there. But oh, they yeah. feel that it was the CIA, it was Lyndon Johnson, it was yep. this person, it was that person that had that really had JFK killed, or. Yeah. Recently, with the Irishman, there was the fear that it was the mafia to get his brother off of Jimmy Hoffa's back. Right. So there's, there are, it's... And even, then there's
1: he, the Cuban connection, too, and we yeah. all know that one. So,
0: yeah. And, what you talk about how, you know, sticking up for the um, constitutional process as far as, you know, changing of political power, you, it really sticks out with the character of Jigs because when he first brings these this news to the president the president pl- point blank asks him what he thinks of the treaty and jig says i i don't agree with it i think they're playing us for suckers yep but he's even though he disagrees with the president he still believes in that process and still it goes against general scott and everything he's trying to do even though they believe the same thing about the treat, yeah. which is what this main film, foc- which is really what's bringing out the whole plot of the movie. Yeah. And, and the,
1: the, I think one of the interesting arguments that Jigs makes and some other people uh, also give voice to in the film, in particular, the S- Senator Clark, the character Senator Clark, who goes to the ComCon uh, uh, camp and is held captive for a while. Edmund O'Brien is just fantastic in that role. Uh, classic Southern senator from the '60s. Okay. He's, he's just perfect, Dixiecrat. And, yeah, a Dixiecrat, and it was he was so convincing in it that I had to look at a while, go, "Oh my God, that's Edmund O'Brien. He's he's excellent." Um, but they they make the argument, uh, interesting argument, more than once. It says, "Look, y- y- you guys may very well be right that this this policy is disastrous, right?" um but you haven't made the case that the uh, that the only way to uh, reverse it is through these extra constitutional means conducting a coup like every other third world country do you want us to do become a banana republic you know um you haven't made that case but uh, more troubling is the fact that um, once you do this once this is done a first time, it will be a natural kind of result uh, following from human nature that it will it will be precedent setting and it will be more likely to occur in the future in this same country and again you see all kinds of empirical evidence of, uh, of that in the history of other countries in this world where coups and counter to coups go, go on on a more or less constant basis it is the norm not the exception They don't have a constitutional order. They do not follow the rule of law. Egypt's, again, a good case in point Um, very frequently. So think long and hard, they say, before you decide you're going to do this. Because once you set that precedent, it actually sows the seeds of internal political chaos.
0: Well, and not only that, but when... Um, The president confronts Scott at the very end of the movie. He says, don't you realize that if you do this and let's say you do overthrow me, what that's going to mean for the treaty? Because he says it's just not it won't be just a matter of, you know, years or whenever that the Soviets use the nukes and attack us, he says it'll be a matter of days or a matter of weeks. It says that's going to speed up the process and it will lead us to almost certain annihilation as far as a nu- nuclear attack.
1: Yeah, exactly right, because um, he he's aware of the uh, perception that the uh, Soviets have of General Scott, and I guess uh, at least a majority of the Joint Chiefs uh, somewhat stereotypically or the 60s and especially this time period in film they are uh, uh portrayed as uh very hawkish and just 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 got their fingers on the trigger and they're ready it's, to go
0: yeah i think frankenheimer said this film was meant to put a final nail in the coffin of mccarthyism yeah which is also what the main theme was of his previous film the manchurian Candidate. A-
1: exactly right um uh, but you know, to 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 kind of play devil's advocate for that stated intention, I mean, he doesn't make. Uh, I would say, unlike maybe Doctor Strangelove, he doesn't make the Hawks look ridiculous, right? Um, their their arguments are cogent, the concerns are valid with a treaty that
0: Jigs, I would say, is meant to s- more level-headed because yeah. he is an objector, but then as it mentioned one of i don't remember the guy's name but one of Scott's allies is many people describe him as almost as a fascist yeah. so they are bringing someone who's disturbingly very far 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 to the right where yeah. they are just basically yeah. a nazi
1: yeah and, but they're not all like this yeah, right yeah. it's a spectrum and um, that's what i think gives gives the gives the movie its uh its appeal it's it's realistic appeal um because, like, once again, um, um, it's kind of a stereotype that everybody is, you know, General Walker, right? Um,
0: and what's interesting, because it's this is from the 60s, but I was looking at the film and thinking of later decades as well, thinking of how this carried a decade later, because this, t- this supposedly takes place in the fictional world of 1970, but yeah. 1972, you had Nixon with the Watergate scandal, and even talking about uh, nuke, nuclear treaty we had that just what four or five years ago with the iran deal and there were many people yeah. who were saying how do you expect them to keep their end of the bargain and then you have just what happened a couple weeks ago this was you know, not even anywhere near organized but there was a riot on capitol hill there were the yep. people who were upset with the way uh the the changing of political office yes. they were trying to do harm to those who are going to be taking over who are now taking over as we speak right now yeah
1: Yeah, they were actually, uh, uh, what's so concerning about it, uh, two things, obviously, uh, a lack of respect for the constitutional Mm -hmm. process. Second, the fact that there were people either retired or still in services in that group of people that uh, stormed uh, Capitol Hill. Some of them had weapons. And some of them had weapons. And as we know, five people died. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Very worrying uh, thing. And uh, it's interesting you bring up the Iran uh, nuclear deal and, and Nixon as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's any kind of a direct thematic connection with Watergate necessarily, but it's interesting that um, a, a, during his day, there was a lot of criticism of Nixon for being too soft, believe it or not, on communism on the Russians and the Chinese. And you have to remember, he did a lot of negotiating negotiating of um, uh, nuclear treaties that reduced uh, arms. And he had criticism for doing those kinds of things. He had criticism, although it it was admitted it was historic. He had a lot of criticism for uh, attempting and uh, successfully opening up um, diplomatic connections with China. All the while fighting the Communists in Southeast Asia. Uh, nevertheless, you know, even though there were uh, disagreements with that, uh, n- nobody seriously con- nobody of any consequence seriously considered, as it were, overthrowing the constitutional order. Um, you did have militant leftists at the time that were bombing and so forth but uh like i said they were not people of very serious consequence what makes it worrying in the in the uh case of the recent capital riots is um you had you had those people in the group that are in the in the armed services and uh doing these things clearly in violation of uh the, uh, the constitution and the UCMJ now with uh, the the uh, Iranian um uh treaty, which may or may not be reinstated, I don't know. Uh,
0: It's been five years, and I haven't heard anything about it in recent news, at least. Yeah, uh,
1: that actually would have been a good... it's kind of a suggestion to Hollywood. If, if they were going to do a remake of this film yeah. and try and bring it up to date, that might be a good pretext for it.
0: Now, I know the um, uh, the terms of that deal are different. I know we're not ultimate dismantling all our all our Oh, moves. not at all. Yeah, not not like at
1: all. But movie. basically, basically what it was, what it did is it, it carved up the, um, uh, Iranian, uh, uh, nuclear program into three components, uh, uh, intercontinental ballistic component, uh, uh, medium-range component, the tech, developing the technology for those two things, as well as, obviously, uh, the technology for producing weapons-grade um, uh, nuclear material. And it was supposed to um, uh, prevent them from enriching to that extent. Uh, they were supposed to kind of cut themselves off at enriching uranium to the point where you could use it for nuclear power. Um but there were not very effective controls put in place and the Iranians were able to uh, get into the agreement, um, uh, kind of no-go zones for inspectors um, with regard to the missile technology, but also certain areas where they may have the centrifuges necessary for for enriching to weapons-grade uranium. Um, And in return for that, there was a relaxation of a lot of economic sanctions and transfer of fungible funds, uh, a great deal of money, which a lot of people persuasively I think have pointed out that the Iranians quickly turned around and, and gave to their proxies, their terrorist proxies in various parts of the world to do what they do. So grave concerns, rational concerns uh, for that um, uh, for about the nature of that agreement. Um, but you know, to the credit I, again of uh, critics here, uh, we never had any anybody even hinting at coup. <laughs> yeah, and
0: that was during the Obama administration, right. pre-Trump.
1: Right. So what happens is the administration changes, and it, 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 kind of the 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 the, the general unease with that treaty resulted in a uh, basically an abrogation of it. Uh, so, uh, in other words, the lesson is that the, the legal constitutional process works, and only in the gravest circumstances would you uh, depart from it. Right. And even there, I mean, the Constitution gives you uh, avenues for removing an executive from office if you think he's incompetent or uh, uh, done something illegal. I mean, processes are in place. There is no reason to overthrow those things.
0: And one other thing I want to bring up about the movie that it uses, and this was very similar to I bring it up a lot, but his Frankenheimer's previous film, Manchurian Candidate, is their use of television. Because at the time, television yeah. is still a relatively new technology. We're not even in the color stage of television yet. And like in the Manchurian Candidate, the main plot was they were going to assassinate the president, and then this guy who is was a plant, communist plant is going to stand over the president's body and make this impassioned speech which will basically secure him the win really mm-hmm. and it was be on live tv so everyone can see it. And this one it's gonna general scott was planning on making this impassioned speech basically put it you know where he will take control of the presidency and it's it just was the age of television when you see you see these important things in history were happening like yeah. walter cronkite you know tearfully explaining that the president's been assassinated yeah. even after we captured um Harvey Oswald, we saw Jack Ruby kill him live on television. Yep, this is even this is different from what the movie. But they think of the civil rights movement and all the marches they were filmed. and oh, even yeah. Later on, the late sixties, you saw Vietnam practically every day on television yes. news. Yeah,
1: and uh, it, that's a, one of the most fascinating parts of this film is the uh, media savvy of General Scott and his group. They know. That in order to make this thing succeed and to or increase the probability of success at any rate, uh, they're going to need to take uh, literal control of the big three networks. So they have this Ecomcon part of Ecomcon channels. (laughs) Yeah, so, so it's a lot easier than today's media environment. You're gonna have to take control all the cable channels, all the streaming services, all the social media. So today's General Scott would have a heck of a time, I think, uh, attempting to do this. But at any rate, you know, there's some secret compound out west, and they're going to literally kind of cut into and take control of the feeds of the big three, and then he's going to make this impassioned uh, speech, um, knowing full well that um, most of the American public is uh, already thinks the uh, president may very well be incompetent, right? Because of this uh, uh, treaty that looks to be laughably unverifiable, right? So that's what I loved about this film is is that. But then see it turns around at the end, and who's the guy that has more media savvy, President yeah. Lyman?
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. There you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and the Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, where each episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesandosinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker.
1: And I'm Sean Baker.
0: Saying so long and be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies.